I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo. Woo. It's a very subdued woohoo. Yes. <laughs> and um, we've been through a lot this week. It's, <sighs> yes. What were you going to say, Luhu? I was saying it's 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 been an interesting week, and yeah. Sheena is going to kind of open up on a somber yeah. note this week. So, Sheena, take it away. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, our last episode, which came out last week instead of coming out the week before, um, was late for a lot of reasons. Um. You know, we talked about how Lori had had some health issues and then with it just being May and tons of graduations and all that, um, dance recitals and all that, our producer was tied up with stuff with his kids, which is fine. Um, and then last Friday, um, and this slowed things down too, my mom died and it was sudden and pretty unexpected, not a hundred percent, but 90%, well, 99% unexpected. Um, and if y'all know me, you know, my mother was my life and the reason I'm doing anything with stories and storytelling and dead people and true crime and cemeteries is because of her. That's where everything came from. Um, she was constantly giving me ideas for this podcast. I mean, the last one I did was Sputnik Monroe. She called me up randomly and was like, Hey, you've got to cover this guy. He's amazing. And I was like, okay. So now I'm like, well, my stories from here on out are just going to suck because my mother's not here. Um, So anyway, so that slowed us down, too, because our producer um, had to hold my hand through the whole uh, weekend, basically. We love Um, Derek. Yes, Derek. Thank you so much for doing such a good job taking care of our our sweet Sheena. He's a full service producer. Yes, he he was. And he was the only person at the service dressed in a suit. He I know, was right? So smartly dressed and just right I there know. the whole Which, time. It was awesome. It doesn't matter, but I was also like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Don't, don't, don't break out anything nice, folks." But it's okay. <laughs> whatever. My yeah. mama wouldn't have wanted people to have done. Yeah, that. she's she was not, you know, the fussy kind of woman. But either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to navigate my life without her, which I didn't think I would ever be able to do. As I told the girls, I did not expect to be a week out from her passing and be sitting up and forming sentences. Recording um, a podcast. Like yeah. I was only yeah. expecting we would go on a brief hiatus. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to keep things normal. Yeah. I've been trying to kind of ease back into work and um I went cleaning stones today at Elmwood, um, giving a true crime tour in the morning. Um just trying to to keep things going because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I have probably a lot more to say about that and about grieving and, and burials and all that because she's not being buried. She's been cremated, which is new for us in this family. <laughs> we have never had anyone cremated as far as I know. Um, and I have her in my living room and I yeah. kind of weirdly love it. And I also am kind of weird about it. Like she told me I couldn't keep her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so See, so, you know, I know I'll have to spread her ashes at some point, which whatever. But anyway, I'm tired. It's of talking nice about for this right reality. now. Yeah. yeah, my mom has my brother and her mom in yeah. their living room, and she's and like, I, yes. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Now that at first when I brought her home, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this, and then I was like, No, I, 
she's right here with me. It's fine. Yeah. Well, and I will tell you, Sheena. So when Adam's mom passed, she was cremated and it was kind of like that at first. Well, what do we do? And her, you know, I know your mom has had made it clear what, where she wanted her ashes yeah. spread. Carol wanted to be in the ocean. That was yeah. her favorite yeah. place. Was And the, the catharsis and just the warm feeling that I was not expecting it to happen. I wasn't, I, I didn't get to know Carol very well. Um, yeah. But ju- just that feeling that overcame me as we saw her ashes go into the ocean, yeah. that when, when you get to experience that, I feel like that is just going to kind of bring everything back and you're going to feel that feeling of she's where she wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it was so just such a surreal experience. I've never had anything like that happen to me. And yeah. so, and you can make an adventure, like, I know she wants to be spread in a couple of different places and yep. it can be like an experience, an adventure for you to yeah. go travel to those places and to, you yeah. know, bring her home with you. Yeah. 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 It's, it's going to be great. Um, I think I'm going to keep some of her though. So mm-hmm. she's yeah. going to have to come for me in the afterlife. She can, she's, she knows she is fully a hundred percent welcome to haunt me. So, you yes. know, all um, of perfect. my nibblings have little necklaces with some of their dad's yeah, remains yeah. in them. And I have a lock of his hair. So yeah. they make, know. they make jewelry. Yeah. So the ladies that I yeah. um, have had make breast milk jewelry for me, don't come at me folks. Hey, <laughs> you do what cool. you want to do. They, they do. She yes. does jewelry with cremains too. And they're, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, even though it's nowhere close to that, at some point I'm going to have jewelry made with tabs remains. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'll figure that out. But the the one joke I've made all week, and I come from a family where you have to joke or else you'll cry. Absolutely. So we, there have been a lot of jokes during the last week because, my God, you got to laugh at something. Um, is that if God took my mother and Tina Turner in the same week, he must be planning something pretty good upstairs. I'm yes. going, I choose to believe that. My grandmother, I don't know if she ever went to any concert at all, but I know she went to see Tina Turner. Like, yeah. You know, like I'm going to miss that woman. Um, yeah. My dang. godmother, she told me my aunt Lola, which is my godmother's mother. Um, every time Tina came to Kansas City, she went like, yeah, didn't matter. She was going. So, yep. Tina's family is in our prayers and hearts yeah. and yeah. Oh, what God. a life. And just the little what bit a of life. Her, what the reading I've been doing about her husband and how mm-hmm. uh, he gave her, he gave her a kidney. So she would be yes. here with him. Cause he didn't want to be without, just I be know. without her. Yeah. If you, if you don't know her story, Google and research it because yeah. I, like I only really ever knew her from Beyond Thunderdome, which is an amazing yes. art. It's one of my piece the of first art. time I've ever the first time I saw her was Beyond exactly. Thunderdome. Exactly. And yeah. so j- just what she came through growing up in Nutbush, Tennessee. Yeah. The abuse she suffered from that just piece, piece of shit of husband. Buck yep. Ike and Turner. Yes. Yep. He is burning in hell. Um yep. and just she she just started over and just was such such a queen yes um, and an icon so yep. yeah he's definitely got something going on up there i'm telling um, you you don't take two powerful women like that out and just yeah you know, like go about your business um absolutely and you've got some other exciting news as you yes. you know you've been trying to maintain that normalcy so so tell them about what you got yeah. coming up next month um so next month june 17th 
um, a tour that I've been working on for months now. It's finally here. Yay! Um, Gosh, is it more than one date? Did she put me down for more than one? Anyway, it's my writer's tour of Elmwood. It's called The Plot Thickens. Yes, my mother named it because she was a genius. I love that. That's amazing. Um, And it is about the writers, broadcasters, journalists, poets of Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. Um, This tour has everything to sound like Stefan. Um, (laughs) God, it just reminded me when we got home, was it the night? I don't know if it was the night she passed or the night after. It might have been the night after. Me and Spencer watched hours of Stefan. It <laughs> felt like like we just watched hours and hours of SNL. Anyway, um, which I highly recommend that if you need something silly to get your mind off things. Anyway, Absolutely. this tour has everything. I've got um, a guy who wrote a poem that is still being quoted more than 100 years after he's died. Um, I've got the godmother of Afro-Hispanic literature and culture. Um, a woman who broadcast a radio show live from a jet fighter. And a reverend who wrote about ghosts and married live people with dead people. So if you want to know about these people in Memphis, Tennessee, please come to my tour. The plot thickens um, the writers and raconteurs of Elmwood Cemetery. That is June 17th. That is a Saturday morning. I love it. Yep, me too. And then, of course, as usual, I'm doing my usual backbeat tours. Um, My schedule has, I've been, I know I've been saying on every tour, oh, I'm, I'm the Monday night. I have not almost done any Monday nights in May because this whole month has just upended my life from start to finish. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm getting back on more of a regular schedule um, after this coming week. And hopefully I'll be back on Mondays. But then I'm also I have like a Saturday or two and that kind of thing. So I don't know if you really want to like take one of my tours, I guess you could I don't know. Call them and ask them. I don't know. You definitely want to take one of her tours is what I'm saying. Sure. Sure, And next month you might get a podcast with all of us in the same room. Well, you're definitely going to get a picture. Yeah. Uh, Right. Yes. (laughs) A Lori uh, event is happening. Yes. And it's like Lori, Sheena, Hannah, we're all going to be here for for one special event. Yes. Brings together our interests. Yes. So... So I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, I'm going to try to be a little more excited as I move forward. Um, anyway, our, I mean, and I'll be more excited when I tell, see, I'm not articulate. I just can't think. It's okay. I will be more articulate when I get to my story and this week's theme, my story is at the bottom, which is fine. I don't care. Anyway, the theme this Sweet Jesus. The theme this week is Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yes. And somebody's kicking us off. I already forgot who. I am. I am. Already forgotten. (laughs) You're good, girl. You're good. Again, y'all, to understand how I got this idea. (laughs) Her process. I've got to share my process. So I was like, okay, I want to do Hawaii because Hawaii is cool. I bet they have some really cool graves. I bet they have some really interesting uh, traditions and practices. So the first thing I did was let's find some Hawaiian cemeteries and look at the headstones and see if there's anything interesting there. And yeah, there were some really great, great headstones. So then I was like, okay, there's a lot of history here Mm -hmm. let me kind of google what their burial practices were 
And in doing so, I learned about a different type of cremation that I am going on record now, May 26th, 2023, <laughs> that this is what I want done to me when I die. So it is now public record. Heck yeah. Make notes. Alkaline hydrolysis, also oh. known as aquamation or water cremation. Yeah. Oh, shit. Allows native Hawaiians to complete the traditional rites of burial when a loved one has passed. So historically, the remains were steamed in a emu, which was like an earth oven. Yeah. And it would Not leave the giant bird. <laughs> right, right. And I, I had to spell it out phonetically to make sure I didn't. <laughs> so it's not emu, it's M-U. Okay. <laughs> M-U. Okay. To leave behind clean, sterilized, long, long bones that could be interred. Uh, they would wrap it in a specific type of cloth and it would be interred in a crypt or a burial cave. Uh, preserving the remains this way was how Native Hawaiians preserved the iwi which is the soul in ancient practices hmm. however up until the development of water cremation hawaiians were unable to complete the traditional burial rites because really the only option for them was a traditional christian burial um buddhism which allows for cremation um but that again regular traditional fire cremation doesn't have align the same, with their yeah, align yeah. with how the they wanted the remains done and so with water cre cremation that is no longer the case so the process is kind of complicated how it works out so the next part is a direct quote from an article in the smithsonian magazine that is going to be linked in our show notes so this is this is what it happens so during alkaline hydrolysis, a human body is sealed in a long stainless steel chamber with a heated solution of 95% water and 5% hy sodium hydroxide, which passes over and around it. In low temperature alkaline hydrolysis, the solution reaches a temperature just below boiling and the process is performed at atmospheric pressure and the body is reduced over the course of 14 to 16 hours. Hmm. There's a higher temperature version of the process where the mixture tops 300 degrees Fahrenheit and creates more pressure and the body is reduced within six, four to six hours. The process dissolves the bonds in the body's tissues and eventually yields a sterile liquid combination of amino acids, peptides, salts, sugars, and soaps, which is disposed of down the drain at the alkaline hydrolysis facility. The body's bones are then dried and ground to a fine powder and returned to the deceased person's survivors, just as the bones that remain after flame cremation are returned to families as ash. So why would you choose this as a form of cremation? So according to the Cremation Association of North America, because there is an organization for everything. Of course there is. Oh, yeah. That of is course. what I do for a living. Yes. There's an association <laughs> for everything. Yes. <laughs> a major factor is that it is environmentally friendly. Yeah. It uses less fuel and has a lower carbon footprint than standard cremation and even burial. Yeah. Uh, and for people who are scared of the idea of cremation by fire, it seems like it's a gentler alternative. Yeah. And so once the bones are pulverized into ash, the remains are pure white, and you typically receive about 32% more remains than you do with uh, a traditional cremation. 
And so what happens to the liquid remnants that I just said they pour down the drain? Yeah. Well, before it's poured down the drain, facilities bring the pH of the water to at least 11 before disposing of it. And water treatment authorities actually appreciate that liquid being released into their system because it helps clean the water as it returns to the water treatment plant. You can also divert it and use it as fertilizer because Mm -hmm. it's, it's got all this good stuff in it. That's good for the soil, but it goes into the treatment plant. So it's not like if you go to Hawaii, there's people in your water. Right. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. It just, it helps the water as it's going to the treatment. Right. No, that makes total sense. And so there's no one famous really that's been bare use this process because it's still it's been around since the 1800s or it was first thought of but it's only really been widely talked about the last 10 years Mm -hmm. but when archbishop desmond tutu the anti-apartheid fighter yeah died in late 2021 he requested i want a cheap coffin and an eco-friendly cremation and alkaline hydrolysis is what they chose to to do And so in the United States, alkaline hydrolysis is legal in 26 states, including Hawaii. And for those of us on the mainland, it does appear that it is legal and practiced in Illinois. Okay. Of course. No. It's legalized in Tennessee. I don't think it's wildly, wildly, widely (laughs) practiced, but it has been legalized. So we may have to cross the border if something happens to me. Right. Um, Like, even if they don't, you know, put me in fireworks. I'm okay with like, well, mm-hmm. they could still put the, well, they could still the, put your, 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 the powdered you, remains in fireworks. Yeah. Yep. Cause it's still okay. ash. It's yeah. still a form, you know? Um, so that Smithsonian magazine article does have a list of this, all the States that have legalized the practice. And you can also find out more information from the cremation association of North America at cremation, cremation association.org. Love also, it. Um, look up, Ask a Mortician on YouTube because she talks about that a lot. Okay, cool. And she's, um, I don't know if she's a native Hawaiian, but I know she was raised there. Um, I don't think she's native, but her family, she was. Her family grew there. up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's how I knew about it was from her. She's mm-hmm. talked so wonderfully about it that, yeah, it's, it sounds like a very eco-friendly way to go. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and kind of lovely. I mean, yeah. I know there's no lovely way to go, but. It sounds there can lovely. be. I mean, it's, that's it's a way yeah. part to, of life. Yeah. To give back to Mother Earth, who has done so much for, for you. The yeah, least exactly. You do, and use my soapy amino acid mixture. Put it yeah. in the soil. Exactly. Um, Grow a flower it. bed. Yes. Heck yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was a different rabbit hole. And there was no, but again, I didn't want to talk about Desmond Tutu because, again, this is AA in HPI. Right. So I just had to share that little bit of information because it was so fascinating and it is related to Native Hawaiian culture because, Mm -hmm. you it's possible for them to to practice their rituals. Yeah. So now to the actual story I picked today. And I think at some point we should do like a longer version or or I'm sure at some point we're going to talk more in depth about this story because it's Mm -hmm. such a huge part. Maybe not of not even necessarily of our history, but so those of us elder and maybe (laughs) not so elder millennials remember exactly where we were on September 11th, 2001 when the class, yeah, I was leaving Spanish going to English. So we, we all know that. Um, 
it's an event that will stick with us for the rest of our lives, much like the JFK assassination, the MLK assassination, those did to our older generations. But also there was, and this was, a, we were, but we were all three alive during this. We were just infants, but the Challenger d- disaster mm-hmm. on January yeah. 28th, 1986. So yep. my mom remembers where she was. Mm-hmm. She was at home with me because I was a baby. Yeah. I was like three months old. Uh, when the before mentioned space shuttle exploded thir- 73 seconds after takeoff from Cape Canaveral, Florida, killing all seven astronauts on board, including Krista McAuliffe, who was to be the first civilian and teacher in space, mm-hmm. which sh- her she's only a small part of what I'm talking about today. But, yeah. um, I you know, I, I didn't I, again. I was only an infant when this happened, but we learned about it in school. I don't know if they learn about it today since. Yeah. It's, Who knows? Yeah. But that was something we learned about it in science. Every yeah. year we talked about it. Um, anniversary events. But I did not know that one of the astronauts on board, mission specialist Ellison Onizuka, was the first Asian American to enter space. Oh. And the first person of Japanese descent to go to space. Amazing. I almost did this story, so I'm oh, thrilled that you're doing it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, it, they so sound was, awesome. Yeah, he, he sounded like a really cool guy. When was, you're mm-hmm. done with this story, okay, this is going to be Hannah blows up her parents' spot episode. Because <laughs> I, oh. I have a Renee story. Mom, if oh, you're listening, no. I did not call you by your first name. You did not hear that. <laughs> oh, my God. That when Does I she tell not you, allow you to do that? Yeah, no, I'm not. That's as close oh, no. as I get to like slapping <laughs> her in the punch face. Me in the face. Wow. Yes. Never so, knew that about your mama. And if I say mother, we're getting real close to that. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. We no. have a whole if I say mother, she's like, excuse you. I'm like, yeah. this is as close as I get to her government <laughs> name. Um, but no, I'm when I tell you the story, you you're going to go, oh, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> but no, carry on. Yes. So Ellison was born on June 24th, 1946, in a small rural community on the island of Kona in Hawaii. He was the oldest son born to Japanese-American parents, Masamitsu and Mitsui. He had two older sisters, Shirley and Norma, and, he, and okay. a younger brother named Claude. Oh, bless. Well, in that general, you know, there was a lot of Americanization of their names to try to like assimilate and stuff. Mm -hmm. From a young age, he was fascinated by the stars and dreamed of one day going into space. He excelled in school, was an active member of his high school student council, 4-H club and National Honor Society. He was also on the yearbook staff and was on the varsity baseball and basketball teams. Damn. Just a well-rounded individual. Yeah. And he was a Boy Scout oh my and achieved his Eagle Scout merit. So, so of course. He has already accomplished more in like his I feel like such a lazy do. bastard. I do too. I know. I know. So uh, he graduated high school in 1964 and he went to the University of Colorado where he earned a bachelor's degree in aeronautical engineering in 1968 and then got his master's degree in aerospace engineering the following year, like it only took him Christ a year. On a cracker. Of course it did. Of course it did. Jesus. Also, while all this was going on, he was dating Lorna Yoshida and they got married on June 7th, 1969. So, Aww. and 
their first daughter, Janelle, was born later that year. So <laughs> master's degree, marriage, yeah. baby, all in the same year. Just You're busy duckling. <laughs> yes, yes. So after he completed his master's, he joined the Air Force and attended the Air Force Test Pilot School at Edwards Air Force Base in August of 1974. And the following year, Lorna gave birth to their second daughter, Darian. Oh, that's pretty. That's yeah, a pretty name. I thought it was it was very pretty. So he finished flight school and worked as a flight test engineer and USAF test pi- at the USAF test pilot school before applying to become an astronaut in NASA's space shuttle program in 1978. He was one of 35 candidates chosen from more than 8,000 applicants. Oh my god. Damn. Dude. The class, yeah, just like the class became known, 35 new guys, and it was the first class in nearly a decade, and mm. also the first class of astronauts to include women, Latinos, African Americans, and Asian Americans. Oh, wow. hell yeah. Ellison's first mission took place on January 24th, 1985, aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery in the very first mission for the Department of Defense. Upon the shuttle's return on January 27th, he had spent a total of 74 hours in space. His next mission would be his most publicized one, the Challenger. Okay, so a little bit, there is so much to the Challenger story and so much goes over my head. So I tried to keep it short and sweet and in a nutshell in terms I could understand. Yes. We may revisit this at another time and do, you know, solely an episode because there's been multiple shuttle disasters that weren't being talked about. Oh, for sure. For sure. So the primary goal of the mission was to launch the second tracking and data relay satellite as well as release the Spartan Halley spacecraft, which was a smaller satellite that was going to observe Halley's Comet during its closest approach to the sun before it would be picked back up by the Challenger two days later. Additionally, the mission was important because it would carry the first teacher in space, Krista McAuliffe, and Krista had applied alongside 11,000 other teachers for the opportunity and had been training since 1984. Hmm. Awesome. So, Publicity stunt, but not not entirely. They, yeah, they right. she, he did a lot of prep work for this. Yeah, the plan was that she would conduct two lessons from space, and upon returning to Earth, she would spend the next nine months traveling and lecturing about her adventure. Fun, and this was to highlight the importance of teachers and encourage students to look into high tech careers. Mm-hmm. Big so, Bird was almost on there too. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Other members of the team included Commander Dick Scobby, Pilot Michael Smith, Mission Specialist Judith Resnick and Ronald McNair, and Hughes Aircraft Engineer Gregory Jarvis. So there were issues from the very beginning. The initial launch date was postponed because the previous shuttle mission, Hatton, was struggling to get back on the ground. Then the night of January 27th, a freeze went through Florida, which left a layer of ice on the lunch launch pad. Mm-hmm. They delayed the liftoff until 11.38 a.m. and just proceeded as normal. And everything right. seemed to be fine until the ship was ordered to throttle up by mission control. And within like an instant, the craft mm-hmm. disappeared in an explosion 46,000 feet above the ground. Mm-hmm. And y'all, this is the worst part. So tapes were found in the wreckage 
that included what had to be the saddest final words from a pilot. The instant before everything went dark and and the craft broke up, Smith, who was the pilot, is recorded as saying, "Uh oh, oh, like so so awful." Yeah, and. I did not know this, but it is believed they didn't die right away. Yeah, I had heard that. They survived the initial breakup because the cockpit or the, you know, where they were was intact. Mm -hmm. But they supposedly fell unconscious within seconds because they were not wearing pressure suits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it is most likely that they died from oxygen deprivation before the cabin hit the ocean bless their hearts yes just so sad debris rained from the sky for over an hour falling into the atlantic ocean and i want to say like 10 years later part of the shuttle washed on shore oh wow some ridiculous find something from it fairly recently or am i dreaming that maybe i I don't know i don't know um well because they had the um the documentary on netflix about it that i have not had the heart i haven't watched yeah i haven't watched it either but it just and it took them six weeks to find the crew compartment i did not realize it took them that long uh the cause of the accident anybody remember what the cause was it was uh, like something about the freeze. Well, and something to like, because I remember it was related to an LDS company that was sending out shoddy materials. And so like a screw or a bolt or something fucked yeah. up. An O-ring, a rubber O-ring. Yeah. Yeah. Which it failed. And during like, cause there was a, and I don't go into this at all, but there was this whole investigation and like you could put the o-ring in a cup of ice water and it would like do the same thing that it did on the shuttle yeah and this allowed hot exhaust and gas to escape from the rocket booster during the ascent so that Ugh. is is what caused the explosion many people blamed the reagan administration for pushing ahead pushing them to go with the launch and i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with it because yeah. Reagan planned on discussing the mission in his State of the Union on January 28th. But of course, thanks, Ronnie. The, the White House investigation found that there was no such pressure from Reagan's administration to move of forward. Of course, not. I'm shocked by that. The wow. foxes guarding the hen house said the what? foxes did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Yes. Got to be kidding me. The resulting investigation ultimately found that NASA and Morton. Theo call. I didn't even bother to figure out how to pronounce that. The company responsible for manufacturing the O-rings mm-hmm. failed to heed warnings, warnings of the dangers from the cold temperatures. In response, NASA made modifications to the space shuttles and created the new Office of Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance. So sad that seven people had to die for you to mm-hmm. do that. But yeah. And two on live TV. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. there were grade school kids watching billions of children mm-hmm. watching this. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just, well, and it was, what was the one that was more recent? Cause I was thinking of that one too. Cause I yeah, there was one when I was in college. Yeah. Cause I remember watching that. I, think I can't was, remember which one that was, but yeah. I watched um, it eating breakfast in the cafeteria and was like, oh shit. Yeah. 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 Um, so now I'll get back to good old Ellison. 
um, on May 20th, 1986, a portion of his cremated remains were combined with his fellow crew members and interred at Arlington National Cemetery. Mm-hmm. A memorial marker featuring the astronauts' faces and names is a part of the memorial. And the back of the marker features a famous poem called High Flight, written by Royal Canadian Air Force pilot John Gillespie, John Gillespie McGee Jr. in 1941. Um, and I think Reagan quoted it in his address uh, to because I think he kind of tweaked his State of the Union to talk about the the explosion yeah memorialized yeah Yeah. so he quoted this it's it's a very often quoted uh poem poem about flight and so the remainder of his remains were buried at the national memorial cemetery of the pacific in honolulu Hmm. his grave marker is pretty small and simple but it does note it note that he was posthumously ranked as a colonel with the Hmm. u.s air force and posthumously received the congressional space medal of honor as as well as his role as astronaut on the challenger mission and he has been honored in a number of places like there are so many things there are streets yeah tons of different things dedicated to him uh there's the onizuka air force station in sunnyvale california um and the airport in his own district in Hawaii was renamed to the Ellison Onizuka Kona International Airport in 2017. Additionally, the Boy Scouts of Hawaii recognized his legacy through the Onizuka Day of Exploration, which is a family-friendly STEM event held every year. Um, and that's the one I sent y'all the picture, or I sent yeah. y'all the link with the t-shirts, because yeah. I kind of yeah. want to order a t-shirt, because they look yeah. really cool. Um so sadly, I don't have a ton of information about him as a person. There wasn't a lot, you know, because again, he was only in his thirties. I think he was like, yeah, yeah, he was just a private citizen doing shit. Yeah, he yeah. was he was doing the damn thing, and I think he would have had this not happened, he would be a major part of well, yeah, the and the rest program. of the crew. Yes, and and we would know more about him, and mm-hmm. we would know his personality um, a little better. So to end today, I'm going to share a quote from the man himself, quote, your vision is not limited by what your eye can see, but by what your mind can imagine. Make your life count and the world will be a better place because you tried. It's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Just a really awesome dude. And just like, and, and there's so much more you can look into about like how they, how long, because it's believed he probably lived longer. There, there's two oh, of them man. that mm. something was was done that made them assume that they may have potentially regained yeah. consciousness briefly. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's just it's just terrible. And yeah, you know, to never would have thought that Challenger mission would have included. And and one of the the gentlemen, the astronauts, was a black man. So they yeah. had it was such a diverse group yeah. Of, yeah of individuals going up there and for it to end the way it did and these wonderful people who were going to do such amazing things just gone in an instant yeah, yeah. it's a heartbreaker so, yeah it is okay right. hannah's got kind of a grab bag for us and i love well first things, so. let me let me blow up. Oh yeah, no, you you oh, had yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot your my story. mom's spot. If you hear children screaming in the background, there is a birthday party going on across the street. 
and I they have a. You were gonna say it's just your cats. <laughs> no, no, they're currently running through the apartment, but they have a very large unicorn, and so they are <laughs> clearly having a better time than I am. Um, <laughs> even though I'm having a great time with you guys, there is no giant unicorn here. Darn it! So, my brother was. That happened in what? 80, did you say 85 that that happened? 86. 86. So my brother was like five when that happened, right? Going on five. So he was like trying to like ask my parents like what, you know, kind of what happened. Yeah. So my mom, my mom took, got one of his toy space shuttles and put a bottle rocket on it and then lit the bottle rocket. Renee, no. <laughs> I'm gonna say your mom's name. Renee. You knew that. <laughs> oh my god. She's gonna kill me for that. No. <laughs> oh no. Oh. <laughs> yes. If you know my mom, you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it it does track, honestly. <laughs> but <laughs> oh my god. But so Renee. <laughs> Oh yeah. Poor Joe. <laughs> I know. Bless, bless his heart. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, and so God. one of her oldest friends was like, you sick bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, that's that is the stock from which <laughs> from which I descend, people. <laughs> yes. Okay. So for mine, there isn't really a cemetery, and you guys are just gonna have to deal with that, but it's okay. You'll you'll be fine, I promise you. So, screaming children notwithstanding. Um, so I'm doing Guam, um, and some legends of Guam. And since I am shit talking my parents, we're also going to shit talk dad here. Yeah. Um, because my dad is a sailor in the Navy. Um, he's actually a CB. And so he, we have a base on Guam. Um, and he did, I believe, nine months there, um, his first week there, because where Guam is situated, it gets direct UV, like, boom, shoots right at them. Yeek. And they just all, like, baked like little lobsters. <laughs> so they were just not prepared for that. Um, but he did enjoy Guam. He he liked Guam. So I asked him, I said, well, are, you know, were there any hauntings or any, you know, legends around the base? And he was like, I'm sure there are. <laughs> so, oh yeah. wow Lovely. thanks for your help okay cool appreciate it thanks that's <laughs> fine because i know how to google um <laughs> so the indigenous people of the mariana islands which guam is a part of the mariana islands are the chamorro people and we once again friend of the pod destination truth um has done several episodes in guam tomorrow legends are super interesting it's really a lot of fun um and archaeological evidence of the chamorros dates back about five thousand years so they've been there a minute Mm -hmm. and how they got to this isolated island in the middle of the pacific good on (laughs) you so and they've been through a lot as most indigenous people who have run up against europeans have um, so they were colonized by the Spanish and nearly got genocided because Spain liked to do that. Yeah. Um, during World War II, they had to deal with Japan. And then um after that brouhaha, 
the U.S. said, this is ours. So it's not technically ours. It is its own thing. Um, but it is it is an unincorporated territory of the United States. But it's, you know, it's not like Puerto Rico. It's just, it's just yeah. kind of there. Um, bless its heart. And we have a military base there. So great. Wonderful. I'm sure the Chamorros are like, you guys can leave anytime. Yeah. So here are some of the legends of Guam, which um, just recently got hit by a typhoon and really got the bejesus knocked out of it. So please keep them in your thoughts because having been through a hurricane or two, that shit sucks. Yeah, it does. So one of the first legends and one of the ones that Destination Truth covered is the Tatamona. So the Tatamona, which literally translates to the people of before, are ancestral spirits that inhabited the earth along with the ancient Chamorros. The ancient Chamorros believed the world around them was full of spirits who provided both daily protection and assistance in their tasks, but also created dangers and problems. So a lot like anyone who has like a pantheon of gods to kind of explain when shit mm-hmm. gets medieval, it's like, okay, well, it's this fucker's fault. Um, tomorrow, we're much the same. The connection between the Chamorros and these spirits has changed over time due to cultural changes from Spanish colonization, of course, Christianization of that. Um, so they have slowly changed from ancestors to wily ghosts, devils, and demons. Um that happens. Tatamona can be defined in different ways, depending on their relationships with the living, sort of like our ghosts now. You know, you can have ghosts that come in a bad way. You can have ghosts that are just like chill. You know, Tatamona is therefore a term which can refer in general to all spirits of tomorrow, ancestors, to all those that come before. Um, they play a huge role in the daily light of tomorrows. They offer assistance and protection with all sorts of daily tasks. Um, so this is kind of like a house spirit. Mm-hmm. Like I like to joke about, I have a ghost wine mom who gets up <laughs> and fucks with my Pinterest algorithm. <laughs> um, but these spirits are treated as members of the family and referred to by names or terms of endearment. So some of them believe they're house spirits. Um, they're also connected to stones called laddie stones, which were ancient stones that were carved into these really cool shapes and kind of left all over the island. And also banyan trees are considered sacred by the Tatamona. So if you mess with any of those, you're liable to get jacked with because they don't like you messing with their shit, which I understand. You step on my yeah. stuff, I'm going to knock you out. Yep. So speaking of Christianization... We have our next legend, which is Santa Marian Camelon, which is quite the name, also known as Our Lady of Camarin and is the patron saint of Guam. The 300-year-old Santa Marian Camelin statue is a revered icon, and its unknown origins are explained through the legend. The actual statue of the saint is 28 and three-quarters of an inch tall, which is a little bit more than two feet. Yeah. Um, and weighs 48 and a half pounds. It is made of wood, except for the ivory face and folded hands. She is painted with a pink and blue gown and sits high at the Dolce Nombre de Maria Cathedra Basilica in Guam in a niche behind the altar, which I'm sure is lovely. And we're going to have pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guamians, which is the name of people who lived in Guam, um, celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception each December 8th. And they do a procession 
in her honor around the island's capital. Oh. Um, so there are multiple legends that explain her origin. According to one version, a fisherman from Marizo went fishing and spotted a statue of the Virgin Mary on the ocean floor. He swam underwater to try to approach the statue, but to his surprise, it moved away. No matter what he did, he could not close the difference between the statue and himself. He returned to the shore and sought advice from the priest. The priest told the fisherman to dress in his Sunday clothes and try again. He did so, and this time had no trouble getting the statue. She was playing hard to get. Yeah. Um, another virgin. Ver, another virgin. <laughs> another version. Jesus Lord. Well, we are talking about Mary. Yeah. Um, of this legend is that the fisherman saw the statue floating in the water, escorted by two gold-spotted crabs, each, okay. All each right. bearing a lighted candle within between its claws. I love it when I run across I know. That, that happening image. <laughs> she is thus also yeah. became known as Lady of the Crabs, which <laughs> I'm not so sure I enjoy that one, but good for her. So I know some people to, for whom that would fit. Oh, yeah. um, the fisherman returned and he took the statue to the Presidio or main barracks, which was still under construction. There, the statue was relegated to a tool shed. Um, um Okay. Which in Spanish was Camarin and in Chamorro is Camalan. So Marian de Camalan, Mary of the Shed. <laughs> this poor girl. We can't Thus, get her somewhere better with better I know. Animals. No offense to crabs, but. <laughs> right. She's, she was also known as the Lady of the Barracks. Um, and I find that really interesting when you have indigenous cultures who get Christianized is there yeah. is a real connection to Mary. Um, and I think it's because they come from a lot of like matrilineal and very matriarchal religious, you know, or spiritual beliefs. And so like Jesus and a masculine God don't really do it for them. But Mary, that, you know, they're cool with that. And our last legend is Punton de Osmantes. Get ready. No, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> the story tells of two Chamorros who loved each other, but their love was unacceptable because he was a high caste and she was a low caste. Matios were strictly forbidden from aligning themselves with those from a lower caste. So the higher caste was called the Mateo and she was called a Manachong. And if this I am mispronouncing almost... this... We've heard this story before. <laughs> I was about to say, is this not Romeo and Juliet? Hail as old as time. Um, a certain Mateo of the village fell in love with a young and pretty Manachan girl. And if I'm butchering that, I apologize. I do not speak Guamian. Um, and fled with her. He found no asylum among the native group, however, as he refused to part with her. Pursued by his relatives, the young lovers wandered for some time in the most inaccessible, rocky, and wood areas but so precarious and wretched an existence reduced them to despair which yeah if i'm wandering in the woods with a dude i'm like okay yeah determined to put an end to it they built a tomb of stones and placed in it the infant that was the sad fruit of their love oh no oh, lord then lost and distracted they climbed to the very summit of a high steep-sided peak beside the sea Binding themselves together by the hair and clasping on to one another, they leapt from the peak. I get a migraine just hearing that. I know. 
I'm I don't like, want to be God stuck to somebody me. with hair. By the hair. <laughs> no. After you buried oh. your baby. Good Lord, y'all. The cape was named by the Spanish Cabo dos de los Amantes, lovers' capes, now known as Puntan de los Amantes, to lovers' point. Just so we know. But since the story changed to include a Spanish figure. So originally it's a Chamorro legend. The Spanish gotta gotta get in there. Mm-hmm. So the Spanish legend goes as follows. Once, long ago, during a time when Spain was doing Spain things, the father of a wealthy Spanish businessman and the mother of and the mother, a daughter of a great chief. So Pocahontas, anyone? <laughs> Their oldest daughter was a beautiful young woman, admired by all for her honesty, modesty, and natural charm. One day against her will, the girl's father arranged for her to take a powerful Spanish captain as her husband. But the girl met and fell in love with a common Chamorro man, and they promised each other their love. When the girl's father learned about it, he grew angry and demanded that she marry the Spanish captain at once. But she found her lover and escaped. Her father, the captain, and all the Spanish soldiers pursued the lovers up up to the high cliff above the bay. The lovers found themselves trapped between the edge of the cliff and the approaching soldiers because apparently the soldiers had nothing better to do than force a marriage to a teenager. Right. The lovers tied their long black hair together and kissed for the last time before leaping to their deaths. Today, the place they were, they, where they jumped is known as Puntan de Amantes. They, Puntan dos Amantes. Jesus Lord. Or to Lover's Point. The site has been restored and modernized, and visitors can still visit there to learn about the two lovers and have a really good look at Guam's coastline. So, those are three legends from the tiny, tiny little island of Guam. I like those, but uh, don't do that, kids. Yeah, don't tie your hair to your boyfriend and jump off a cliff. Please, Honestly, yeah. in the Twilight books, that is the one thing that like nearly sent me into fucking orbit. <laughs> I was yeah. like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> but nope. okay. all right, Bean. Right. She says as she begins yawning. Um, <laughs> We're all there, right with you, girl. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna tell you. After doing research on this lady, I immediately went out and got Chinese food. So I'm just warning you. I'm about to make everybody very, very hungry. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you, I might get here, Chinese this weekend. I I highly recommend it. Uh, if you live here in America and you enjoy Chinese cuisine, especially dishes like hot and sour soup, Peking duck, mushi pork, scallion pancake, you have Joyce Chin. The quote Chinese a Julia Child, end quote, to think. I saw a TikTok about her today. Did you really? Yes. Well, um, I found this story because um Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston posted about her because that's where she's buried, spoiler alert. And I was and as soon as I saw her picture, I'm like, I know her. How do I know her? And I read more about her and I'm like, oh, she's rad. And then I decided to cover her. So yeah. love it. Yeah, so picture it. Uh, Joyce Chen was born in Beijing, China on September 14th, 1917. And in Western astrology, that makes her a Virgo. In Chinese astrology, it makes her a fire snake, which I think is rad. 
She was the youngest of nine children, and her family was very rich and very prominent. Her father was a railroad administrator and high-ranking Qing Dynasty official. I hope I'm saying that right. I looked it up. Okay. So their family had a personal chef because, again, they're very rich. Yeah. And so that chef... Uh, did teach Joyce to cook, but then uh, the chef left and went to work for another family. So her mother and her governess, because yes, she had a governess, uh, took over cooking duties and Joyce would watch them and learn how to cook from them. And she enjoyed cooking because who doesn't? I mean, you, yeah. know, you get food at the end. McDuff, Absolutely. Good sir. I promise <laughs> I will. He ate his Wheaties tonight. He's ready to. <laughs> tear this house up oh yeah mine have been doing like a roller derby through the fucking house i'm like i need (laughs) y'all to calm down i don't know what his deal is um anyway i didn't find a lot about her upbringing in china but i did see that she sang the lead role in an opera called white snake and no that is not the band who wants to (laughs) what's the what's the big white is this love? Yeah. No. Oh, yes. Yeah. No. Oh, but that's. Oh, oh and here, here I go again. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is not about the band White Snake. They were not even born yet. Um, but and I read a um, synopsis of the opera and it sounded very nice. But anyway, so apparently she had this really amazing operatic voice, but she decided to go into show business in a totally different way. And it really wasn't even show business, what she's known for, but um, we do get, we, we touch on show business later. So Joyce married her husband, Thomas in 1943. And yes, I know these are Americanized names, but I don't want to disrespect this family by butchering their Chinese names. Um, anyway, they had uh, they got married in 43. They had their son, Henry, in 44, and a daughter named Helen in 48. And then they escaped the communism takeover in the spring of 49 in the second to last boat to leave Shanghai. And the family uh, settled in Cham- Cambridge, Massachusetts. So in Cambridge, uh, Thomas was, uh, he imported fine art and then Joyce was a stay-at-home mom, which is a big change for her because in China, she was an insurance broker. Um, but there here in America, she was just, they were kind of starting over, I guess. And so she was a stay-at-home mom and they had another kid named Stephen in 1952. Well, everything really gets started for her in 1957. Uh, she made pumpkin cookies and Chinese egg rolls. For a bake sale fundraiser for the Buckingham School in Cambridge where her kids were um, in school. And her treats were a huge hit and they sold out within an hour. So if you remember, you know, you think about to 1957, Chinese food was incredibly rare to find in America. Kids, you know, it wasn't like kids knew egg rolls and sushi like they do now. Um, so anything international was a treat for Americans. Um, So she wondered, you know, could she make a career making Chinese food? And of course, there are some ingredients that are hard to find because God forbid we have anything exotic in this country. So she was already working on ways to find those hard to find ingredients or to substitute those ingredients. And she did adapt some recipes to make them more palatable to Americans. Now, she opened her first restaurant called the Joyce Chin Restaurant in 1958 in Cambridge. And this is where she just blows my mind. She pioneered so much stuff that we take for granted in the Chinese cuisine industry. So she pioneered the all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet and for two oh. reasons. 
for one, to let customers sample unfamiliar, authentic dishes at their own pace, and two, to boost sales on slow nights. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. Like, duh, like, wouldn't you do that? Um, She tried to make her food as healthy as possible, and she really promoted that she was cooking uh, in a healthful way. She refused to use any dyes, especially not red dye number two, which, you know, is probably going to be the death of me, ha-ha, because I'm sure everything I eat has red dye in it. Um, Right. But she would not use any kind of dyes, and she really promoted that, which no one else cared. No one cares about that today, you know, not really. Yeah, you'll um, see the occasional, like, crunchy mom be like, yeah. I dare feet, and I'm like, it doesn't I cause know. autism. I need you to calm I down. I know. And even if it did, what's wrong with having an autistic kid? Exactly. No, it's the end of the world, man. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's just Considering fun. my amazing autism autistic nephew is in the wind ensemble motherfucker yes, yes i'm so proud of him he's amazing um anyway she also came up with the brilliant idea to number menu items because her staff i love that system of, yeah a lot of I her love staff her. spoke chinese and then a lot of her customers spoke english but then some of her restaurant staff did speak english too so it, it basically helped everyone communicate better yeah, it's like, like at the Mexican restaurants. Yes. Like, I want 5A. Yes. Bring me that. Yes. yes. <laughs> so her menu consisted of Northern Chinese or Mandarin uh, dishes, as well as Shanghainese dishes. Uh, oh. to, um, so this is the first time, really, the Boston area has has had a lot of foods like uh, Peking duck, mushy pork, hot and sour soup, pot stickers. She called pot stickers Peking ravioli, sometimes <laughs> called ravs. And apparently uh-huh. that's what they're still called, like around Boston. I'm like, I don't know. I've never been to Boston, but I love that. That's kind of adorable. Uh, following the restaurant's opening, she began teaching Chinese cooking classes at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education and the Boston Center for Adult Education. She was a very popular teacher, and her classes had long waiting lists, which if I lived there in that time, I would have signed up. Yeah. Like, I love Asian food, so I would be like, yes, teach me your ways. I want Peking duck so bad right now. Yes. Um, She published her first cookbook called the Joyce Chin Cookbook in 1962. And it was incredibly influential. She insisted on color photos. And of course, all the publishers didn't want to pay for color photos. Mm -hmm. So she published the book herself. Um, she pre-sold more than 6,000 copies at her own restaurants before it was even published. And eventually a publisher did come along and, you know, it was like, oh, you're selling these books and it's not even out yet. So they teamed up with her and they sold an additional seven, 70,000. And then it's been nice. reprinted many more times over the years. Um, Joyce and her husband Thomas divorced in 66, and she sold that original restaurant to him. She legally reverted to using her maiden name, uh, which I believe is pronounced Liao, but she used Joyce Chin professionally. So everything you see that has her name on it to this day, because there's still a ton of Joyce Chin products, it will say Joyce Chin. So she opened another restaurant, the Joyce Chin Small Eating Place in 1967. And it was very small. Um, And I think I read it only sat like 60 people, but people lined up to eat her food because it was that good. It was at this restaurant she um, introduced dim sum and soup dumplings to the menu, which again, I... 
through all of this, I was just like, I'm going to tear up some Chinese later. Mm-hmm. And I did. It was delicious. Um, but it was also important, too, because this business was located in Cambridge's Central Square, which at the time was a lot of industrial and retail space. But because she opened a restaurant there, now it's home to lots of ethnic and unique restaurants, which I say that like I know. I don't know. I've never been to Cambridge, (laughs) but I hear it's nice. Anyway, in 67, she went national. She began starring in her own cooking show on PBS called Joyce Chen Cooks. I love that she knows how to brand herself. Everything is Joyce Chen, whatever. Joyce Chen Restaurant, Joyce Chen Cooks. Do you remember who was the other there was an asian man who used to cook on pbs too and he was amazing i'm going to look I don't him know. up keep talking. do that because i don't know so the show was filmed using the same set as the french chef yes julia child's show Love so uh, julia child would go in there and film her show then they would decorate the set with like asian themed decorations and film joyce's show and the share the show aired in the U.S. and eventually in the U.K. and in Australia. Uh, she talked about finding hard to find ingredients, adapting the recipes to American tastes, and she was criticized for this later on. But I mean, let's be real: this was the first time American audiences were even seeing Chinese food being made beyond chop suey or chow mein. So, like Martin she was, Yan was oh, the, okay. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so she, you know, I, I get that she Americanized a lot of stuff, but still, yeah, yeah. this was still revolutionary for American oh, absolutely. eaters. Um, for she sure. also introduced Chinese kitchen tools to American audiences like the wok and the Chinese chef's knife. So the show had a modest following. Um, they had 26 episodes and then it was canceled, oh. but it did air in repeats and the Reader's Digest did give her an award for um, educational television. But I still think it's really important because this is one of, she was one of the first non-white TV cooking show hosts to have American national distribution before the 80s. So that's kind of huge. And you can find the episodes online. She's so adorable. Um, she just looks like this adorable mom. Like you just know she'd Love be it. the mom that if you went over to her house, she'd feed you and she'd be sweet to you. And I don't know. She, I just thought she looked like a really sweet lady. Anyway, in 1969, she opened a third restaurant, also called Joyce Chen Restaurant. Um, (laughs) This was in a larger space, um, and that was great, but it didn't last long because MIT purchased the land to build dorm rooms. So you know what, MIT? You can suck it. But those Um, nerds really need a new dorm. No, no egg rolls for you. You know that? (laughs) Right? None. None. I hope you and never then, eat one. I know. Then Joyce launched Joyce Chin Products, a line of quality Chinese cooking utensils in 71. She helped popularize Chinese cookware and she held the design patent to the flat bottom wok, aka oh. a stir fry pan. She called oh. it a stir fry wok. So the reason we have them in America is thanks to Joyce Chin. I love that. I love this Very lady. Cool. Like so much She's about my out life. There. I'm like, she, mm-hmm. I mean, everything. I have a walk. I have, you know, my favorite Chinese foods. Like, thank you, Joyce. You did a lot of cool stuff. And I um, too like PBS cooking shows. I do, yes. <laughs> I love PBS. Um, her fourth restaurant, guess what it's called? Joyce Chen Restaurant. Um, love it. Opened in 73. This one was open for 25 years. I love and... that one of her restaurants was like food place. I'm like, yes. yes. Small <laughs> eating place. All I like, need to know. It's all you need to know. Yes. 
Her sons, Henry and Stephen, also opened restaurants under the Joyce Chin restaurant name. They had, you know, various levels of successes. And then in 82, she developed the first line of bottled Chinese stir-fry sauces under the Ooh. name Joyce Chin Specialty Foods. And you can still find these in stores. I don't awesome. think I've seen them down here. I wonder if they're like, you, if especially maybe it's a boston thing yeah it may be but i mean there's lots of products on her website we'll get to her website in a minute oh yeah um and at her restaurant she was known to be a lovely hostess she would mingle with her guests whether they were everyday common folks or celebrities uh she welcomed lots of fancy folks into her restaurant like james beard which by the way let me just say i have no idea what that man did other it was something to do with cooking and I say his There's name an like award. 30 more times. Yeah, yeah. That's all I know. So I need to cover him because I don't know nothing about him. Maybe he was a jerk. A jerk? I don't, know. I don't um, know. Also, Julia Child, they were pretty good friends. And Danny Kay and Henry Kissinger. I don't know that. It, anyway. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I was like, okay, Kissinger. Okay. Um, a former Harvard president said her restaurant wasn't just a place to eat, but a cultural exchange center. Oh, which sounds nice. Um, in 68, um, her and two of her kids, Helen and Stephen, took a trip around the world on Pan Am Flight 1. So I'm guessing that's <laughs> oh, the first wow. ever Wow, damn, okay. Um, and then in 72, she and Helen and Stephen went to China. Stephen had taken a crash course in cinematography and filmed their vacation, which he turned into a documentary called Joyce Chen's China, which aired <laughs> Love it. on PBS in 1973. But apparently some absolute trash human beings watched this documentary and used what they saw to break into their home, which I'm like, oh, seriously? Wow. Really, that's really? shitty. Yeah. So I'm like, I hope they don't get egg rolls either. Right. No egg rolls for you either. None. None. Um, no soup. Nothing. Um, <laughs> in 1976, she suffered a really bad cut to her right hand she dropped a large glass jar of her stir fry sauce oh and she had to have surgery on that hand but she never really regained full use of it so it must have been pretty bad yeah that's awful and after this her memory started to suffer and she claimed the hand injury made her forgetful i figure it must have been the trauma that kind of set this off or anesthesia that too um, but after several years, she was diagnosed with dementia in 1985. Oh, bless her heart. Uh, she immediately retired, and her daughter, Helen, who is also a chef and a cookbook author, took over as CEO of Joyce Chin, Inc., and her son, Stephen, continued to run the restaurants. And Stephen cared for her at home until 92, when she had to be moved into a nursing facility, and then she passed away mm. August 23rd, 1994, at the age of 76. Oh, bless. Yeah. So in 1998, she was inducted into the James Beard Hall of Fame. Again, I don't know what that man did, but I'm sure it was cool. Um, in 2012, Cambridge had its first ever Festival of Dumplings to <laughs> celebrate what would have been Joyce's 95th birthday. Okay. And I don't know if they still have that or not. Um, Rima, any of our Cambridge folks, let us know because yeah. I saw it happen a couple of more times. But of course, then you've had the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But if if that's a thing, I want to go to it because the Absolutely. Festival of Dumplings, yes, sign me up. Rima, then, open up the guest <laughs> bedroom. We're coming for dumplings. Yes. In 2014, the U.S. Postal Service issued Celebrity Chefs Forever stamps, 
which honored Joyce Chen, Julia Child, James Beard, who I don't know what he did. Ed <laughs> We're going to have to cover him at some point. Yeah. And Philippe Rojas Lombardi, which is a great Ooh. name. And I don't know what he did mm-hmm. either. If you see her stamp, you're like, oh, my God, I know her. Like, I swear, if you see a picture of this lady, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that lady. I don't yeah. know how I knew her, but I was like, I just feel like it I've was always... like in the 80s. Like, you just saw yeah. their faces yeah. on stuff. And you you're just like, oh, yeah, them. I know that person. Yeah. Um, And then nine days before what would have been her 100th birthday, an illustrated children's book about her life, Get Ready for This Title, was published. It's called Dumpling Dreams, How Joyce Chen Brought the Dumpling from Beijing to Cambridge. Oh, Dumpling Dreams. Dumpling Dreams. I'm like, that's precious. I love it. That is the one thing about like all cultures is we like to put things in dough. Yeah, we we got pierogies, you got ravioli. (laughs) We're like, let's put some shit in some other shit and see what happens. 100%. Turns out it's delicious. It is. Um, No matter how you cook them. I love me a dumpling. Um, So the final Joyce Chin restaurant closed in 1998, ending a 40-year run of Joyce Chin restaurants. I hate I never got to eat at one. I know. Um, in 2003, Helen sold the Joyce Chen products line to another company. But as far as I can tell, it looks like she's still alive and still doing things like publishing cookbooks. She taught cooking yeah. at Boston University. Like, heck yeah. Steven is the president of Joyce Chen Foods, Inc., which sells food inspired by his mother's recipe. Like I said, uh, you can find those online. I'll get to that website in a minute. And then her son, Henry owned Joyce Chen Unlimited, a retail store in Massachusetts, until his death in 2007. Mm. And Joyce has inspired many other Chinese chefs in the Boston area. Some of them that actually worked with her have gone on to open their own restaurants, which awesome. I just love. She she continues on in the form of delicious, delicious food, which I'm, I think is probably what she wants. That's the best way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that website is JoyceChenFoods.com if you want to look up. And they have a wonderful history section about her, and they have Yeah, uh, I was just perusing it. I was like, duck sauce. Yes, all (laughs) kinds of sauce, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, So Joyce Chen is buried at Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, an incredibly historic cemetery. It was the first rural or garden cemetery in the United States. So, you know, it's a park for the living and a resting place for the dead, which, you know, that set the standard for similar cemeteries like Greenwood in Brooklyn, Laurel Hill in Philadelphia, and of course, my favorite cemetery in the world, Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. There are a lot of important Bostonians buried there, as well as politicians and authors and athletes and all kinds of cool people. So they are a very historic cemetery. Her monument is very lovely. It's a flat stone and it reads beloved mother, Joyce Chen, and it has her dates. It has some Chinese that I can't read, Mm. but the quote that I love um, that's on there, it says to live in the hearts of those we leave behind is not to die. Oh, which is very poignant for Mm -hmm. me this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I liked this quote from there's a celeb- celebrity chef, celebrity chef Ming Tsai. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, I meant to look it up and I forgot. Sorry, Ming. Um, but she said she is the Chinese Julia Child. Joyce Chen helped elevate what Chinese food was about. She didn't dumb it down. She opened people's eyes to what good Chinese could taste like. That is our own dear 
Joyce Chan. I love it. Go eat some Chinese this weekend. And oh, I want some Peking duck so bad. I mean, there are so many I good think that's dishes. What I'm going to get Pour so many. some duck sauce out for Joyce. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and um, some hot and sour soup. Ooh, uh, yeah. My sinuses got, will love that. I got some Szechuan um, pork and I learned that my heart likes to race fate very spicy foods. So. <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah. a vasodilator. Yeah. And so yeah, like, that was fun. yeah. And yeah. so like, sometimes if I eat hot wings yeah, or like Buffalo wing sauce, I'll get yeah. dizzy because, yeah. because <laughs> I'm really anemic and I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I'm anemic too. Yeah. So I, I, I should have learned this, but yeah, I mean, Szechuan's like one of my favorite things. And so I was I like, know. I, like, I don't like want spicy food. Every, everything, in moder- everything in moderation is fine. Yeah, don't deprive don't yourself. But it's so, yeah, the place here in town um, is actually called Mr. Chin's Kitchen. I was about oh, to say, I, I don't it. know if they name themselves after Joyce or not, but um, that's <laughs> immediately where I went after doing this research. I'm like, I need Mr. Chin's. One of my favorites that I get a lot is, well, there's one uh, Korean barbecue place that mm, has a name yum, I cannot yum. pronounce, but the food is amazing. And they make yeah. a duck fried rice because yum. I am originally from the mid South and I really like duck. Um, <laughs> and then the other one that I like is called tank noodle. <laughs> it's <Nice>. So good. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, so that is um, our episode yeah. about yes. um, Asian American, native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't we, really covered anyone in that region. Speaking of regions, we haven't covered. Speaking of <laughs> regions. So Lori had a genius idea. She was like, hey, you know how we've done like episodes on states like Tennessee and Mississippi? Let's just pick a state at random. And I said, well, is there a random state generator? And we can just pick a state at random. And for our next episode, we'll cover it. And there is a random state generator. And the state we got was Michigan. <laughs> and I can't stress how much that does not excite me. But... <laughs> Not at I'm, all. I'm, I'd better find me a good Yankee to cover. So I'm oh, very yeah. excited. I have two lovely, lovely friends, Sandra and Michelle, who are both in Lansing, Michigan. Um, so and their governor, Big Gretch, is amazing. So oh, okay. Well, okay, good for her. You gotta follow Big Gretch on TikTok. She is well phenomenal. Off off mic when we did this random generator. The first thing that Hannah mentioned, oh, that's where the Bath School Massacre was. Yes. Of course she did. Of course she did. Do you want to know about all of the crimes of Michigan? Because I can tell you some crimes. Yeah. And Detroit. God knows there's crime there. Timothy McVeigh hung out on the Nichols Ranch in Michigan. I could go off. (laughs) Of course. All right. Well, y'all. You can always find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email. We would really love it. We would. Cemetery Row Pod at gmail.com. And we have had like so many like interactions and engagements and stuff on our Facebook. And it has made me so very happy. Me um, too. We literally just got one within the last hour. Lori. Yeah, like um, yeah, yeah. Lori, somebody yeah. was. I was like, so, oh, who who commented? Who commented? Chance. Yeah. I hope I'm saying that name right. Hi, hi. <laughs> Thank you. We love you. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, Lori did such an amazing. I was going to say, Lori, your story yes. this week has just stayed Thank with you. me. I just yes. really. It has been really wonderful. Thank you. 
thank you so yeah all right guys all right bye bye